You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hello, y'all. I am Rosalind Smith. I'm pastor of Mission in Adult Education here at Mosaic, and I'm so grateful that I get to be with you today in person and online. We're also sharing this message with our Mosaic South family. So y'all say hello to Mosaic South. Amen. Praise God for the miracle of Mosaic South. God is just getting started out there. We are continuing our walk through the prophets, poets, priests, and kings of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures. So we're going to see what they show us about who Jesus is. Today we get to take a look at what priests in particular show us about who Jesus came to be. Let us begin with our scripture for today. I'll be your scripture reader. We're gonna come from Malachi chapter two, verses one through nine, and then hit briefly in chapter three, verse one. And now, O priests, This commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuge on your faces, the refuge of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me, so he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you, you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people because you have not kept my ways but have shown partiality in the law. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Woo, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Malachi for Christmas. Listen, this is why Uncle Malachi does not get invited to the Christmas parties. <laughs> He's too honest. You got to hold some of that back, Uncle Malachi, if you want people to enjoy you. Speaking of Christmas parties, it was about this time to the date, 10 years ago, that I was at a Christmas party with the Buffalo Bills. It's a National Football League team. My husband was a player. This is a big Christmas party. All the um, NFL teams do it. They invite all the players and their spouses, the coaches and their spouses, the whole staff, the general managers there, all the coaches. It's a big deal. It's a fancy party. Like, 
the decorations are fancy, the people are fancy, the hair is fancy, the clothes are fancy. This is the night that you bring out your best of everything because everybody's gonna be there. And so I did. <laughs> I had a strapless bouffant dress on, stiletto heels that I bought especially for that night. They had a big bow on them. I was six months pregnant and I was strutting. <laughs> my makeup was right, my hair was right. And I was in a, a, a conversation with a young lady. As we conversed, she said, fire. Well, fire is an, a colloquialism that we use. We use it now, but it was like really popular back then. And fire insinuated like, you look good. So I was like, yes, fire, your girl is fire. <laughs> or it could just be to fill the conversation. Like fire, you're just filling the void in the conversation. So. I respond, fire, like, yes, fire. She goes, no, you're on fire. <laughs> sure enough, I was on fire. While reaching for hors d'oeuvres on this fancy table that was lined with candles, my dress caught fire. <laughs> my husband sprints over there, sees all the commotion, and begins to pat the fire out of my dress. <laughs> there are some things that go through your head when you're on fire in front of a few hundred people. <laughs> it's like Ebenezer in the Christmas Carol. I began to have glimpses of Christmas's past and <laughs> present. And Christmas is yet to come. All these memories came really fast, and it was a really urgent situation. It's a true story. I will not show any pictures to come and write this moment. And if you try to Google, you will not see any pictures. We may have had to pay some people off, but there will be no pictures. <laughs> I believe that Malachi, he's in a similar urgent situation. You see, there's a fire, not on his clothes, but in his heart. The situation Malachi is facing is dire, and time is running out. You see, Malachi, he's the last prophet that we'll hear from before what's called the intertestamental period comes. And this is a time that historians and theologians describe as a, a, a time that God is silent through the prophets. So the urgency of the moment, it causes Malachi to begin to communicate some very harsh details in a very short period of time. And I believe this fire inside of Malachi, it causes him to begin to reflect, not on Christmases, past, present, and yet to come, but on priest, past, present, and yet to come. Because it's the priest past, present, and yet to come that, have com that God has commanded to communicate the heart of a holy father so that we could experience Christmas or Christ more every day. But to communicate the heart of the father means the priests needed to have the heart of father. They had to carry the heart of the father. And as a mission pastor... I'll tell you that the heart of God or the heart of the heart of the Father, it's even an attribute of God and its mission. 
You see, the, the mission of the church then is nothing other than participating in the mission of God, often expressed in the, the Latin term missio dei. A South African missiologist, David Bosch, says, mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missional God. So today, my prayer is that we'll see that when the heart of the priest is missional, that means it's outward focused, the people will experience the heart of the Father and they'll experience reconciliation to the Father. Here's the problem. The opposite is also true. When the heart of the priest is selfish, self-seeking, self-preserving, uh, inward focus, the priest and the people feel far from God. So, if you're sitting at the Christmas party and you hear Uncle Malachi start to rant and rave about the whole, I rebuke your descendants, spread refuge on your faces, somebody in here is going to ask Uncle Malachi, who are you talking to? The first thing that I believe he'll say is talking to the priests. But who are the priests? We've got to understand the language here and who the priests are in this context. And if the heart of the priest is supposed to be missional, outward focused, so that people experience the heart of the Father and reconciliation to the Father, then how can priests, whoever they are, remain in a missionally focused heart space. So we'll begin with priest's past. Malachi says, my covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. Malachi is speaking the words that God is downloading to him. He's having a, a flashback of sorts to priest's past. He's reflecting on covenants of the past. He's using words and phrases like life and reverent and feared me. Truth was on his lips. These are words that were used to express the actions of the priests of the past. He's reflecting back over a lineage of priests who, whose primary calling was to guard the temple and serve the people. Guard and to serve. These words are specifically used in the job description of the Levitical priesthood. Guard the temple serve the people. As God's priestly representatives, they were to be mediators between God and others. Priests passed, they reflected God's character through love and compassion, generosity and justice. Malachi says they turned people's hearts away from sin. If indeed it's the priests who are called to turn hearts away from sin, then the question remains, who are the priests? In Exodus 19, 5 through 6, it begins to point us in the right direction. 
It says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is a key phrase. See, God here is talking to a select group of people, the Israelites, and he's inviting them to be a kingdom of priests. If this promise is true for Israel, then it's true for us. In fact, nearly it, Peter nearly echoes these words in 1 Peter 2.9 to confirm that the promise of priesthood is true for us. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Can you see this, y'all? This is amazing. I couldn't wait to the end of the message to tell you that you are the royal priesthood. You are the chosen people. You are the holy generation. This is an early Christmas present. Maybe you didn't know, but when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you then take on the mantle of priesthood. And it's because of the victory that Christ did on the cross, you see, he set you apart. Your identity is different from the world. You're set apart from the world. You are chosen people now to walk in the truth of who God says you are. But that means when you accept Jesus, you take on that mantle of priesthood, and you are now called to guard and to serve. Guard the things of God and guard this, serve the people of God. What does that mean to guard? You can start by guarding the temple of God. Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? That means guard the temple, unrighteous living. Guard the temple from unrighteous living. Guard the temple from sex before marriage. We got young people in here today, y'all. Guard the temple from, from cheating on your spouse. We got old people in here today. Guard the temple from pornography. Guard the temple from drugs. Guard the temple from alcoholism. Guard the temple. Guard the temple from music that doesn't honor God. Guard the temple from, the, from things, idolatry, that are taking the things that are taking the place of God. Guard the temple from sports and, and peep girlfriends and boyfriends. Guard the temple from even when your, your children or your spouse are taking the place of where God is supposed to be. Guard the temple. God, he's called you to guard the temple as priests. He's also called us to serve the people. We get the amazing opportunity to serve right here in our own city. We get to serve our homeless community. We get to serve in international missions. We get to serve even refugees right here in our own backyard. We get to serve, and I believe our church does this well. We serve over 100 people right across the street every Sunday with food. Many of you cook that food, and we praise God for you. We serve the people and serve the people by helping them turn from sin. It's not enough to just serve people food. That meal will last a day, maybe a day and a half. But when we serve the people and help them turn away from sin, 
it changes their hearts. It changes their eternity. Serve the people by helping them turn away from sin. We can't be afraid of the truth. Uprightness and equity. Malachi says uprightness and equity has turned many away from sin. It's not, sharing the gospel is not hard. It's just sharing truth. So don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It turns people away from sin and changes their eternity. Not their day. It changes their eternity. And our last trip to Rwanda, we got to experience serving in this way and teaching others to guard their temple. And while in the village of Kajeo, Rwanda, is a resettlement village about three hours east of Kigali, um, people settled there right after the genocide of 1959, the, the genocide of Tutsi uh, against Tutsi in Rwanda. Thousands of people fled to neighboring countries like Tanzania, Uganda, and they established lives for themselves in these new countries. They found jobs, they built houses, they purchased livestock. But in 2007, the governor of Tanzania demanded that all the refugees return home. So virtually overnight, thousands of Rwandan refugees were forced to pack up what they could carry and return back to Rwanda. This left hundreds of families and people with virtually nothing. And so in Kajayo, we work with Africa New Life Ministries to transform lives and communities through preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and acts of compassion. So during our week of what we call traditionally Thanksgiving, we took a team to Rwanda and we served them Thanksgiving meal. We served families, we served students, and you can see a picture of that, that there is over 230 people in this room that doesn't even have lights, y'all. But they, they, they join together in community and enjoy being served food. But I, can I tell you that as compassionate and amazing as serving someone food is, that it's not enough? The most compassionate thing we can do as Christians is to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ to those we encounter. And in this village, we got to do just that. We got to serve and share the gospel with these students that may hear the gospel daily, but sometimes you just need to hear it from the next person. Sometimes they just need to hear it from you. Sometimes they just need to hear it. Your neighbor just needs to hear your voice talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your coworker just needs to hear you say it. And that gospel that reminded these young men and the young women who their identity is. It's not the identity that Tanzania pushed them out. It's not the, the identity that they, they have less than anyone. That, that identity is that they are sons and daughters of a, a, a most high king. This next photo you'll see, it may look like a group of youth just standing around, but these are brothers and sisters that we will get to spend eternity with because they chose to give their life to Christ. See, the covenant of life and peace that Malachi talks about was a promise to priests past, a promise to priests present, and a promise to the priests yet to come, and it's a promise for these young people of Kajayo. They get to spend eternity with Jesus because they made a decision to give their lives to Jesus, and that's a big deal. 
Now, the problem and the pain that Malachi has encountered is that he is face-to-face with people and priests that have forgotten God and his covenant of life in peace. They've forgotten his call for them to guard and to serve. The priests present have turned away from reflecting the love of God and his compassion for the people. And so he's encountering now the rebuke that Malachi gives is for the priest present. See, instead of reflecting the love and compassion of God, the priest present have turned their affections inwardly and they're only interested in self-preservation. It's like... Being so internally focused that, <clears throat> it's idolatry, you can't see that you're on fire externally. Malachi sees that this twin beast of self-preservation and self-interest, they're, they're plaguing the priest's present. Therefore, chaos ensues, and it feels like God can't hear. Priests are the mediators, and if they are not mediating then it feels like God's not there or that he can't hear. It's a formula for disaster. This is not too far-fetched from how we feel sometimes. You see, our, our affections turn inward. We abandon our missional call, and then chaos ensues. Our endurance, or rather our trust in God, then weakens, and we feel like God's not near. We we pray for minutes, we pray for days, months, sometimes even years for those that have that high endurance. But when we don't receive that answer that we want from God, we begin to question his existence and even stop listening for God's instructions. But this is this behavior, this, this selfishness, and this self-preservation of priest present, it causes an urgent rebuke, a solemn rebuke from God. He tells priests present, and now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. I will curse you, your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuge on your faces, the refuge of your solemn feast, and one will take you away from it. This does not get easier no matter how many times I read it. These are harsh words and a severe punishment because the priests present have chosen to blatantly and unashamedly disobey their commitment to God. They've misrepresented God to the people. This punishment for the priest, it's hard for me to read and even harder to digest. It's so hard for me to read any scriptures that speak to the punishment that God bestows on bad behavior. But the truth is, a just God cannot allow bad behavior to go unpunished. The scripture, it's hard for us to digest, but here's the irony, and this is for me. When it feels like a just God has allowed bad behavior to go unpunished, it's crushing to me. I'm the first one to quote a psalm, how long, God, will the wicked prosper? Because justice is important. Here's some examples, and I'm a missions pastor. You're going to hear missional examples. Indulge me. 
Over the last six months, I've had the opportunity to experience serving in not just our country, but three other international countries on mission. Thank you for those who have sent us. Thank you for those have, who have gone along with us. Ask your neighbor, did you go? Did you go? And somebody's going to say yes, and then they'll tell you all the stories too. So after church, not right now. The first country that we visited this year was Dominican Republic. This is where we work with Macarios International to see vulnerable communities spiritually restored through the love of Jesus Christ. We work closely with the community of Chichigua, which is a Haitian community in the Dominican Republic that deal heavily with racism and feeling like outcasts in society. They're also constantly combating corruption and selfishness by the public officials. And we get to go into this community and love on our sisters and brothers and remind them of their identity in a holy God. We get to remind them that they are a chosen people. They are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And it's a beautiful, a beautiful time. The next country that we went to is South Africa. And these are people that are still reeling from the influence of apartheid. What this looks like is now in a post-apartheid world is Afrikaners, those are South African ethnic group that descended from predominantly Dutch settlers who are Christians but not willing to effectively lead people of color to Christ. Part of the work that we did was walking with Afrikaners to share the gospel with native Africans. The most recent trip was to Rwanda, Africa, partnering with Africa New Life. We support communities that have been and continue to be affected by the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi. Over a million Tutsi in this time and moderate Hutus were killed throughout the country in a, about 100 days. And the country is still recovering from the effects of this atrocity. In fact, they're still finding bodies. I think the atrocity in Rwanda can help us in understanding Malachi's appeal to the, present, the priest's present. You see, in an effort to heal as a nation, the people of Rwanda had to answer some questions, and they had to answer some hard ones. Like, what caused the genocide to happen in the first place? For those unfamiliar with the genocide, really briefly, these was, this was a dark time in Rwandan history and really the history of the world when neighbor turned against neighbor in a, a small country of Rwanda because they were convinced that their differences in appearance, socioeconomic status, political stance, or even their type of employment was enough to warrant elimination of, the, of a particular ethnicity. This is a self-preservation and misplaced identity tra tragedy 101. If only we could understand our position as chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, then we wouldn't fall victim to the lies of the enemy when he pits us against one another. This is a lesson for all of us. They also had to answer lessons like, how can we avoid similar tragedies in the future? So they built what's called a reconciliation village. In these villages, survivors of the genocide, they coexist and co-mingle with one another in community. Repentant ex-perpetrators of the genocide live with survivors of the genocide. Part of our experience in Rwanda was to visit 
one of these reconciliation villages. There, we listen to stories of an ex-perpetrator who, before our eyes, he's reliving the pain of the genocide and recounting the part that he played. I mean, he's telling us the details, and this man, he knows where the bodies are. They do this while sitting next to people whose family were completely destroyed because of their actions. This lady in the orange, her entire family was violently massacred in the genocide, and only she and her unborn child at the time were able to escape to a refugee camp in Uganda. She's sitting side by side with the perpetrator, the gentleman in the tan suit. She relives the moment that he and other men came to her house to kill her husband and her family. She didn't forget what happened or try to sweep it under the rug. Instead, she, instead she shares how granting him the forgiveness that he requested is only possible because of Jesus. Y'all, nothing prepares you to see this kind of grace and forgiveness sitting side by side. See, outside looking in, it actually feels like bad behavior has gone unpunished. This man, he only had to repent and ask for forgiveness to be liberated from his crimes. This type of grace seems ludicrous. But Rwandan survivors and families alike, they'll tell you that if the deserved punishment were to stand, which is death penalty for the remaining perpetrators, then Rwanda would face a whole nother genocide. And because a just God cannot allow bad behavior to go unpunished, there was a promise made of one who would come and take the punishment for your and my bad behavior. And so Malachi, he gives us a glimpse of the priest yet to come. See, we see it here. Malachi says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Listen, perhaps your sin isn't that of a genocide perpetrator or a crooked Haitian or Dominican public official or an Afrikaner that just won't share the gospel with someone that looks like him. But the bottom line is we all have in some way, at some point, abandoned our missional call, turning our affections inwardly in an effort to self-preserve or even to tend to our own selfish desires. It's all sin, and because of this, we all need a savior. I want you to see this. When Malachi makes this declaration of a priest yet to come, things are at an all-time low. I mean, people, they're, they're bringing sad offerings into the temple. They're lame lambs and defiled doves and grimy goats. They're offerings they, they don't want in their own house. They're bringing to the house of the Lord animals they wouldn't eat. It's like stuff you don't want for Christmas you put in the offering container. They're re-gifting bad gifts. Malachi is rebuking the people for bringing the sad offerings, and he's rebuking the priests 
for taking the sad offerings. So Malachi, in an effort to prepare them and us for a time that is coming when it feels like God can't hear you, or when it feels like he's not going to provide for you, or when it feels like there's a glass ceiling between uh, blocking the communication between earth and heaven, when it feels like God's not there. So in an effort to prepare them for this moment, Malachi, as he's rebuking them and as he's scolding him, he begins to blurt out this. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. It's almost like it doesn't match the previous rebuke of the priests. He's trying to rebuke them. He's trying to tell them about the punishment they deserve, but he can't help but spill the beans. He's saying, you want to get God's attention when it feels like there's a glass ceiling between heaven and earth? You want to know how to stay in a missionally focused heart space? He says, bring a worthy praise. Bring a worthy worship. Bring a worthy offering. This is not prosperity gospel or or doing something to get something. God has always commanded a sacrificial offering, not because he he does anything for him, but because the sacrifice changes your heart. See, the sacrifice shows where your affections lie. And although it felt like God was silent during these 400 years, there were a remnant of people that had made a choice. And that choice was to show up at the temple with a worthy praise and a worthy worship and a worthy offering, even when it felt like God was silent because, simply because, God had made a promise. You see, Anna in the temple, she showed up. She brought a worthy offering of fasting and prayer. Zacharias, he brought a a worthy offering of a a righteous lifestyle, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. He brought a worthy offering of prayer unto the Lord because he believed in the promise of a priest yet to come. Mary, she brought a worthy offering of worship. Her song in part says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. This is a song of outwardly focused worship, not because she had the promise, but because she was made a promise. See, each of these offerings, outwardly focused sacrifices, they were all based on the promise of a priest yet to come. The priest yet to come is Jesus, and he's the one who took the punishment for our bad behavior. He's not just a priest. He's the high priest forever. He does not simply fulfill the Old Testament office of the priest, but rather he transforms the office of the priest. He's not just another priest from the lineage of Levi. He has a heavenly lineage that equips him for mediating for us in heavenly places. His role as high priest enables him and his descendants, that's us, y'all, those who accept him as his savior to officially be called chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. This doesn't mean that life is without challenges, but we have to make a choice. And when life feels hard and when it feels like God is silent, we can move 
into self-preservation mode. We can become inwardly focused or we can remember that we have a high priest forever and he has made a promise to never leave us or never forsake us. That's what Christmas is about. When you see the light shining, when you see the stars, when you see the Christmas trees, when you see the poinsettias, remember that's a representation of God with us, Emmanuel. It's a promise to never leave us nor forsake us. I want to invite you right now, if you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you to have the opportunity to do that right now. Y'all, there is a high priest forever that mediates on our behalf. He calls you chosen priests, but he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for you day and night. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to have that opportunity. So if that's you, I want to just invite you to raise your hands, and we're going to pray over you. We're going to pray that your heart will be open to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. After service, we'll have a team of people here that are coming, and I want you to come to them and let them know the decision that you made. I'm also going to pray for one other group. If you feel like you're in a place where you can't hear God, maybe it was the last four days or the last four years, or maybe you woke up this morning and you're like, I just don't hear you, God, and I want you. I want to invite you to raise your hands too as we pray over you. God, I thank you for anyone here, God, that is making the choice to receive you as their Savior and live for eternity with you, Lord. I ask that you would just meet them right now in this moment, God. Remind them, Lord, that you have chosen them, that you want and desire to live inside of their heart for eternity, God. Oh, God, let them make a choice right now to walk with you daily. And for those, God, that they just don't hear you. They're starting to question, are you even there, God? Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you whisper sweet nothings in their ear. Remind them of your nearness to them. Remind them of your desire to be near the brokenhearted. That was a promise made. And help them to receive you right now, to receive your promise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.